So it is awesome being here. Hello to those in the back. I, I see plenty of spaces up here, so just, you know, if you want to come up, if you want to come up. No? No, okay, okay. Maybe later. Next week, next week, there's plenty of seats up here. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 14. It is awesome being here. This is a dream come true to be able to preach God's Word all the way on the other side of the country. This is what I wanted to do ever since having a, a, studying the Bible and seeing what a disciple is from the Scriptures. I'm like, I want to preach all over the world. And uh, God is very fortunate to me, and uh, I get to do that today. So thanks for having us. Uh, but I want to... I wanna, give you guys a message that if I was never to see you again until heaven or never to speak to you guys again, something that I want you to hold on to. And so that's the message I'm going to give today. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, to kind of let you know what's going on here, uh, the Israelites are kind of controlled by the Philistines right now. They, they have to go, they don't have any weapons, they have to go to the Philistines to get their farm equipment sharpened. So if they want their goad to, you know, whatever goads are used for, right, poke their cattle, they have to get it sharpened by the Philistines. If they, if they want to cut some wheat and their blade becomes dull, they've got to go to the Philistines. It says in, uh, in verse 22 that there, the, at the day of battle, and this is chapter 13, in the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword. Or a spirit in hand. But only, only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. So there's two weapons in all of Israel. Everything else is like pitchforks and sticks and deer antlers, I guess. And so that's kind of where we're picking up here in this story. Uh, so uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Actually, it's like 13, verse 23. But it says, Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Skip on down to verse 4. It says, On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz, and the other Sinna. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over, go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, Come, then. We will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, Wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, Come to us, we will climb. Because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. 
The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and the armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outpost and raiding parties. And the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. This is an awesome story. One that as a man, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Every time I'm like in a room, like a gym, I think this is about a half an acre. And you see 20 men and two guys take on 20 men. It's just awesome. And uh, so the, the first question that comes to my mind, I'm like, why would they go up against this encampment? Why would they go up against this army knowing, well, they actually didn't know how many, because Jonathan's like, whether it's few or many, it doesn't matter. But they knew there were men there that had weapons, and they, were, they only had one sword or a spear. It doesn't say which one it was. But they only had one weapon. And, and he's like, well, let's go do it. And I think the reason for that is because they knew these people were fighting against God's people. Jonathan knew that. They were marching up against God, and how dare these people defy their God? How dare them? They could not stand for it. They did not want to fight out of self-pride or to make Daddy proud. Jonathan didn't even tell his dad. In fact, Jonathan says, God has given them into the hands of Israel. He doesn't say, God gave them to me, and this is going to be my victory, and this is going to be awesome. They say, God gave it to the hands of Israel. So they didn't do this out of self-pride. Their focus was simply on God. That's all they thought about. And in order to run up to soldiers with one other person, you have to know your God. You have to. There's no way you're going to do it if you don't have faith in God and know your God. So what do they know about God up to this point? You know, they knew the Exodus. I'm sure they they heard about the Exodus, how God delivered his people from the Egyptians with great power. He wiped out every firstborn in all of Egypt, except for those who had the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. They heard these things. They heard about going into the promised land. They, they knew that they had to cross the Jordan and, and how God just delivered His people from all these nations. How God gave them cities that they did not build, vineyards they did not plant, and they were just enjoying God's favor. They heard about these things. They heard about Abraham, where God told Abraham, hey, just go. And Abraham's like, where? It doesn't matter. Just go. You just need to leave wherever you are. And they knew that at 99 years old, God gave them a son. And he said, now go sacrifice your son. And so they take, so Abraham takes his son Isaac. They're climbing up the mountain. And Abraham takes up his knife. And God stops right before he strikes his son. They know these stories. They know that God provided. They know about the bronze snake in the desert. 
If you guys are familiar with that story, the, the Israelites are complaining to God like, okay, God, I know that you're bringing manna from heaven. I know that you got quails. I know that you've given us water from this rock. But man, why are we here? Why did you bring us out here to die? And so God sent vipers amongst them and bit those who were complaining. And then, you know, so a bunch of people are, are really scared. They're kind of, they're, they're like panicking a little bit. And so God tells Moses, build a bronze snake and put it on a pole. And anybody that looks at this snake, they will be healed. And so they see God's judgment and they see God's grace. They see God's deliverance. They know these stories. Like I said, manna. You know, they wake up and there's frosted flakes on the ground that they just pick up. Right? Delicious. And, and, and so they know, like, wow, okay, God doesn't just tell his people, go and just leaves them. He, he provides for them. He's there for them. They, they know that at night they were being led by a flame, a fire. And during the day it was a cloud. So if the Israelites, hey, where are we going? They're like, you see that giant ball of fire? That's what we're following. So they know these things. They hear these things. So what have you seen? What do you know? See, we've seen and know greater things than what they saw or know. They saw that God was with them. They knew it. Their faith in God was solid as a rock. They knew that God is bigger than life, and a small group of Philistines was nothing for their God. They knew it was nothing. Like, okay, if God can deliver them from the Egyptians, what's this little outpost right here? Why would we be any different? Why would God not deliver us and help us? They have seen God lead and deliver his people time and time again. So why would they be any different? You see, great faith in God produces courageous dreams. You know, they said, let's climb the cliff. Yeah, that's a a pretty big feat right there. Climbing a cliff. And the armor bearer, it doesn't really say how he did it. It says Jonathan did it with his hands and his feet. But the armor bearer, I guess he was, I don't know how he did it. He's, he's, He's kind of weighed down, but he climbed the cliff. He says, let's just climb it and we'll charge them. We'll just run at them, and God will save us no matter if it's a few or many. They were fearless and bold. And that's what I want to talk about today. But the title of my lesson is Faith to Dream. And so, this is the one thing I want all of us to get, is just have great faith and courageous dreams. Regardless of you, if you're 90 years old or 12 years old. It doesn't matter. We all need to have great faith in God that produces courageous dreams. And there's three distinct things that I see from this passage that are going to be my three points. The first one is that they caught the dream. The second is they had to climb the cliff before the fight. And the third is that they had a companion. So point number one, catch the dream. Now in 1 Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, it says, One day... Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So here's Jonathan. He's just walking around, and it just comes to him. He's like, hey, let's go over there to those Philistines. 
These young men had a dream to be free and to possess the land that God had promised them. That was their dream. Now, it doesn't go into great detail or any detail, really, what they were thinking. But we know that Jonathan saw the army and said, God can do it. He said, God can do it. And that is what a dream is. Not what you and I can do, but what God can do. Right? Because we're not all that great, right? If it all relied on our skills and our good looks and our abilities, it would be very bad. <laughs> it would be terrible. But, uh, but a dream is, what can God do? What, what is God going to use me for? Because really it has nothing to do with us. It's all about God. See, the dreams were encamped around them. And the dreams are encamped around us. They're just sitting there waiting. Waiting for you to just open up your eyes and go, Hey, let's go over there. Let's go do this. Look at this possibility. Do you have the faith to go after them? Or are you like, man, no, that's too big for me. There's no way God could be calling me to do that. And I mean, the truth is, it is too big for us. <laughs> that's why we have God. But some of us don't even see the dreams. Do you even have the faith where you do dream? Or are you just kind of sitting around? You know, the Israelites were accustomed to this. They were accustomed to being suppressed Having foreign people suppress them and, and, and fight them, they were used to it. This was, this was life to them. They knew it. And so they didn't see a problem with the Philistine encampment going on right there. You know, most of them were like, well, this is life. This is how it is. This is just the way it is for us. But Jonathan was like, no. God said this is our land. They had a dream. And if you don't have a dream, you're just going to sit around and the grind will take over your life. You'll find yourself sitting in your car day in and day out, coming home, wake up and do the same thing day in and day out. The, the, being a disciple will become less and less attractive. And the world will become more appealing. You'll go, well, look at them, man. They have drive, they have passion, they have vision. They seem to be free, they just do whatever they want. And here I am, trying to be righteous and trying to do what is right. And what do I have? If we're not dreaming, this, this will be us. This will be us. You know, if that's you, I'm sorry. That is, that is not what God has called you to. That is no way to live just in the grind. You know, God has called us much more than that. You know, I was, I was there not too long ago, just in the grind. Like, what is the point? Why am I here? What is going on? We had to open up our eyes. And the way that you do that, if, if you're in this spot where you're just like, man, this is rough. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging on to be faithful right here let alone have faith to do dreams. What is this guy talking about? If that's you, then you need to do something new with God. You've got to shake it up. You know, something I love to do is get a new version. You know, you've been reading the NIV for 30 years. Try something new. 
It makes the Bible new. You know, sometimes just getting a new Bible in the same version, you're just like, oh, it's crisp. You know that, like, when you turn the pages and they still kind of stick? I don't know what it is. For me, it just, like, makes the Bible new. Now, something else you could do is go on a prayer walk in a totally new place. You know, drive 30 minutes out of the way, get up an hour earlier, drive 30 minutes, and just go to the, wherever the cliffs are or whatever. You know, and just, whatever, I, I don't know L.A., but go to somewhere new and just pray to God. A new environment will open up your eyes. And that's, that's the whole point of this, just doing something new. Shaking it up, and the whole idea is that your eyes will be open to all the stuff that God has called you to. And you're like, wow, you know what? God didn't call me to be in a grind. God called me to be a beacon of light in this dark world. That's what he's called you and I to be. He's called us to be Christ's ambassadors. That means we are from heaven, and we're here representing heaven. I'm heaven's representative. If you have questions about God, please come to me. If you want to know the ways of my land, I can tell you. That is what our job is. That is what we're called to do. Not blend into the world and kind of survive and hang in there. He didn't call us to that. He called us to change the world. He had 120 disciples when he left. He said, now you go and tell everybody about this. And they did. And that is why we're sitting here in L.A. and know about Christ. It's because 120 men and women did what Jesus said. And they completely changed the world. And we are called to nothing less than that. There are a lot of people in L.A. And there are not a lot of people in this room. There are a lot. When we were flying here, I was like, there are so many houses. There are so many people here. That is what he's called us to do. Not to just go to work and get a paycheck and survive. He said, do something great. Do something bold. I signed, we did not sign up to live a comfortable life and die in our sleep. In a comfortable bed. He called us to be earth shakers. He called us to turn it upside down. You know, there are times where we really feel like there is an army around us. Like literally what Jonathan, what the Israelites had. There are times where we feel like, man, you know what? There's just, I'm being suppressed right now. You know, it could be debt. It could be fears. It could be loneliness. It could be sin. It could be health issues. You know, it could be very serious things. And we need help with that. Right? So if, if, you're, if you're dealing with serious things, I'm not just saying like, ignore it, push it to the side, you know, bury that. And then start dreaming for God. You know, we gotta, we got to deal with the issues. we got to deal with, with this, the armies that are around us. And we need help with that. We, we, need, we need people and we need God. Because if we rely on ourselves to get through those things, we'll fall on our face time and time again. Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty young, and, and you guys know that, right? If you rely on yourself, you'll fall on your face. Time in and time out. Uh, we don't want to continue to do that. You know, if you, if you continue to rely on yourself, you'll fall and you'll lose heart. You're like, okay, I've tried everything. It's not working. I'm done with this. You know, we, we, we don't want to be in that spot. We need God and we need one another. You know, just, just about every time you, you catch a dream, there's a cliff that comes your way. 
So here's Jonathan and his armor bearer. Like, yeah, we're going to go to the Philistines. This is going to be awesome. And then cliff. That's point number two. The cliffs. So it, it describes that there's two cliffs, right? So that's kind of confusing. But <laughs> I guess they climb down one cliff and climb up another. But So they're down here. There's a cliff. And in verse 12, uh, verse B, 12B, it says, So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. For the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. So when I, whenever I read this story, when I, when I was younger, I was like, I want to be like this. I just want to charge armies. Now that I have a son and a wife, I tend to think a little differently. Uh, I'm like, yo, young man, let, let's slow this down a little bit. All right. You are the king's son. Now, you're going to go up against these, this army and if you're captured, that's a really, really bad thing. They, they, they can basically control Israel because you're the king's son. And, and not only that, but you have one of two weapons in all of Israel. You know, let, let, let's, let's, let's think about this. You know, this is not good. If, what, if, what if you're climbing the cliff and it falls off and you lose it? Or, or you get captured and, and they take one of two weapons in all of Israel. What, how about you send the armor bearer first, Jonathan? Have the armor bearer go first. See how it goes for him. And then, then you follow up. And you show up and like, here, I, I, I did it. We're victorious. You know, so these are the things that I think about. But this never came up with them. Because their focus was on God. They knew that God could do it. Their faith gave them the dream to go up against them. But before they got to the fight, they had to climb the cliff. You know, cliffs could have been an excuse for them not to go. Like, you know what? I don't know how we're going to climb this, bro. <laughs> this is going to be tough. Maybe, maybe we should go somewhere else. Maybe there's something else God wants us to do. But it could be any excuse that comes our way. And so often this happens to us, right? We, 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 we get some faith. We get some courage. We're like, all right, God, I'm going to go do this. And then, boom! cliff. And we're like, what's up with that? God, I thought, you know, I, I'm having faith. I'm going after this. Why, why would you allow this cliff in my way? Why, why the opposition? God, are you with me? You know, am I doing this wrong? But the cliff is the fight before the fight. It's the fight before the fight. You know, it could be laziness. It could be doubt. We all have those questions. It could be, I don't have time. It's so cool to hear Shapiro's in law school, ridiculous, and helping. Uh, law school, anybody been in law school? I haven't, but I know who have, and they don't have any time. And they've been, they were helping. But, you know, it could be time limitations. It could be financial limitations. It could be anything that can hold us back. I don't know what it is for you. But whatever it may be, you and I are going to have to do it, and we're going to have to go and face this cliff. And the question is, what are you and I going to do when this cliff comes? Are we just going to back up and be like, all right, God, I guess that wasn't for me. I'm going to go this way. Are we going to doubt? Are we going to be slumping around? Are we going to be like, all right, God, this is a cliff. You know, I want to look at a story in Mark chapter 2. Keep your finger in First uh, Samuel. 
Mark chapter 2. This is, a, this is a great story about perseverance, about facing cliffs and getting over them. In Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, so they not, so they, wow, sorry. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat of the paralyzed man laying on it. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the, to, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. So here, here's this story of this guy. Obviously, he heard that Jesus was back in town. And so he's lying there, I guess. And he's probably screaming for some help. Like, hey, I need to get to Jesus. Can anybody help me? So he gets four guys. They put him on a mat and they start picking him up. Now, it doesn't say how long it took. But even if it was from the parking lot to here, that's not too easy to carry a man on a mat. Uh, so, so that's one challenge that they had to face, just getting this guy there. And so they get there, and Jesus is, is inside of a house. This is like one of the few times Jesus is ever preaching inside of a house. But he's inside of a house preaching. And so they come up, and I'm sure the guy on the mat is like, hey, can you get me to him? And they're like, well, bro, there's like this huge crowd. And we can't even see the house. We can, we can kind of hear Jesus. We know that he's over here. They could have gone, you know what, we'll just lay you here. Jesus is eventually going to come this way, potentially. And so maybe you'll get healed this way. But they didn't say that. They're like, all right, we're just going to start working our way through the crowd. we got to get him to Jesus. And so they pick him up and they're fighting through the crowd. Maybe like, excuse me, excuse me. They get to the door. They're not moving. They're like, bro. There's nowhere for us to go. We cannot get inside anymore. I cannot move. And so there's another cliff. And so what do they do? They're like, put them up on the roof. We're digging a hole this time, guys. We're digging a hole in the roof, and we're going to lower him in front of Jesus. I mean, just incredible obstacles that kept hitting these men, and they never stopped. They just kept their focus on God. Like, we got to get this guy to Jesus. we got to get him to him. And Jesus, he doesn't even heal him right away. He's just like, whoa. Whoa. He's like, your, your sins are forgiven. You have incredible faith. Nothing stopped you. Even to destroying this house. It's just like, you know, I don't know how they got this guy up on the roof. I don't know how they did that. But they got him up and they dug a hole and, Somehow, and still the support of the roof still kept them. But, you know, it's just, this just shows you that these cliffs did not stop these men. Nothing was going to stop them from getting to God. And that's how you and I get over the cliffs. We just keep our focus on God. Like, okay, I want to start a Bible talk. Nobody else wants to join me. It's a... it doesn't matter. We're, we're getting through this. All right, first Bible talk. Zero people. You're like, all right, let's just keep praying. God put it on my heart for a reason. Let's keep going. Let's keep praying. Let's, let's keep inviting people. 
You know, it, all these stuff are going to come our way. And, you know, cliffs serve us great purpose. Imagine if we had zero obstacles and said, all right, every person I talk to, they're open. They want to study the Bible. You know, they become disciples, faithful to the end. I want to start a Bible talk, start a Bible talk. Every single person comes to that Bible talk. Every single person at that Bible talk becomes a disciple. I mean, will we ever pray if it was that way? Would we need God if it was that way? Now, cliffs serve a great purpose for us. It causes us to fall to our knees and go, God, this is beyond me. Help me. Show me. Teach me. It's amazing. You know, Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so the idea is like, you know what? It's time for me to be a worker. He doesn't say pray for the harvest. He says pray for workers. And so I'm like, okay, if I have a dream, I need to be a worker. I need to go after it. I can't have someone else accomplish my dream for God. And, and that's the cool thing. Our part is dreaming and God's part is promising. See, God does not dream. God promises. The, the harvest is plentiful is a promise from God. He's not like, one day I dream that people will want to know me. He's like, no, people do want to know me. I put eternity in the hearts of man. And so, so God promises. And so the way to get over these cliffs is to hold to God's promises. But God, you promised me. All right, so I'm going to do it. It will get over the cliff. And God delivered for, these, for Jonathan the armor bearer. It says great panic came out. He shook it. He shook the earth and said, all right, I got two men who have faith and who will trust me. Now I'm going to do my part. I'm going to shake it up. And that's what he did. He came through on their promises. You know, we all have cliffs. It prepares us for what is ahead. We need them in our life to really rely on God. And the way to get over the cliffs and to get the dream is with a companion. And that's point number three, companion. Now, I love this story because it's so courageous and it's so crazy. But I really love Jonathan and the armor bearer's relationship. They had complete trust in one another. And when you read the story, it says Jonathan went first, the soldiers fell before him, and the armor bearer went behind him killing people. It doesn't say Jonathan went up there, like knocked one guy out and said, hey bro, you got this one? Come here. You got to get this one. Jonathan was just like, I don't know what he was doing, jujitsu master or something. He's like flipping people, knocking out people. And he didn't concern himself with the armor bearer's duty. He's like, I completely trust this guy. You see, it's, it's, it's such an incredible thing. Jonathan did not try to do the armor bearer's job. And the armor bearer did not try to do Jonathan's job. It was complete unity. They worked with each other and they trusted each other wholeheartedly. So who is that for you? Who is the person that you're like, that you call to do something and it scares them and they're like, no way, bro, I got you, man. I got your back. Or the person that calls you to do stuff that scares you 
and you're like, I got your back. Who is that for you? Who calls you higher? Who scares you? You know, in my life, I've been both multiple times. When I got baptized, uh, John Sherwood studied the Bible with me. Um, and I remember I would make this guy biscuits and bring him honey like multiple times a week. I, would, I was this guy's shadow. I followed him wherever he went. I did whatever he did. If he was sharing his faith, I said exactly what he said. Because I had no idea what I was doing. There's times where, like, we jumped on trains to have prayer times. We're like, he's like, bro, let's jump on that train. I'm like, uh, okay, let's do it. And he's like, hey, bro, let's go reach out to that guy that's, like, covered in tattoos. I'm like, he's huge and he's scary. All right, bro, I got your back, man. Let's go. Um, you know, so I did whatever he did. We've been in so many Bible studies, but I was his armor bearer. And, and truthfully, that's what I prefer. I prefer supporting someone. I'm like, man, I got your back. Whatever you need, I will help you. I will do whatever you can't do. I will cheer you on and I will encourage you. But there's been other times where I've been Jonathan. I'm like, hey, let's, let's go reach out to this person. They're like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, or, hey, let's, let's read through the New Testament in two days. Or, you know, just stuff that, like, might scare people. <laughs> I know, that's, that's funny, right? <laughs> Reading the Bible is scary. Uh, <laughs> But this is the cool thing. I'm sure the armor bearer told this story to some some people, and they were flat out inspired and convicted. And they're like, you scare me, armor bearer. And so the armor bearer became a Jonathan to some people. And we know that Jonathan became the armor bearer for David. He was like, David, I'm here for you. Whatever you want, whatever you need. He followed him, and he served him. And that's what you and I are going to be. We're going to be both. And turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. I think you know where I'm going with this. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We ourselves, it says, we need to hold to Jesus. That's first and foremost. We have to have an unswerving grip on Jesus. And that's where our strength needs to come from. And we need to encourage and spur, another one, spur one another on daily. And this is one of those passages that can make you think, all right, bro, so I need to say, like, great outfit, sis. Like, man, that's a nice beard you got there, bro. Or, like, you know, I really like that shirt, man. You know, that's not what this passage is saying. This passage isn't saying be nice to one another and compliment each other's appearances. It's saying sometimes you got to kick someone towards love and good deeds. Sometimes you just got to do it. That's what a spur is. You ever been to uh, Texas? They all wear spurs, I guess. But, you know, a spur was used, you would kick the bull or the horse to make it go. Now, notice it says consider. So it's not going into church like, 
who's going to get kicked today towards love and good deeds? Who's my next victim? I'm about to get someone to love other people. Now he says, consider. So that's like when you're reading your Bible, it's going, okay, how can I help so-and-so love people more? How can I show this person how big God is so they don't have to worry? Let, let me pray for them. God, help me. Show me what to do. Give me the scriptures to really help this person, to spur them on towards love and good deeds. That's what that's talking about. And it says encourage one another. Now, encouragement is to put courage into someone. Right? So it's things that you say that make people want to act, that make people want to do something. So it's going, you know what, bro? God has you in the palm of his hand. He cares for you and he loves you. He knows exactly what is before you and he's preparing you for it. God's got you. It's going, God said he will not test you beyond what you can bear. And he is faithful and will provide a way out. That is encouraging someone. It's helping them get through it. It's helping them accomplish the goals and the dreams. It makes them want to get up and do something. We need this every day. Especially if we want to dream. And we want to see our dreams come true. So what does your faith in God make you dream? What does your faith in God make you want to do? What decision are you going to make today? I'm not concerned about a month from now. I'm concerned about today. What decisions? We all have that dream or that spur on our heart that we're like, God has been calling me for this for years or months. What is it? Write it down and tell somebody. Who are you going to talk to today that's going to become a disciple this year? We don't know. God knows. Write it down and tell somebody. You know, that coworker that you know will be such an incredible disciple. Like, man, if this guy just knew God, he would be awesome. Pray about it and make a plan. You know, some of the dreams that I have, I want to rid the world of the sinner's prayer. I hate that thing. It leads billions astray. Billion, with a B, billions astray. There are so many people who think they're good, right with God because they said, God, please forgive me, come into my heart. It's a great prayer. It doesn't save you for a lick. I want to rid the world of it. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I hope he uses me. You know, I want to be like Paul and say, I was faithful to the end. I have run the race. I want to raise my son and watch him grow up to love God far more than I do. You know, those are just some of my dreams. But it takes faith to dream. With faith in God, we will go places that we thought we would never go. Let us look to God and have faith that catches the dream. Have faith to get us over the cliffs and the faith to be a Jonathan and an armor bearer. Thank you for today. Love you guys.